0: Like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast Community Group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at live on four legs pod We should
1: warn you that tonight we're going out on the radio. Uh, so, hello to you, Sydney, and hello to the rest of Australia. warn you, because you're not allowed to say shit, piss, or fuck on the radio, so just don't say that. You know, in context, like shit, I thought my seats were gonna be better. Piss, as in I gotta take one, or uh, fuck this absurd idea of going to war.
0: And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring. Mr.
1: Stone, gotcha. Fucking camera in the dirt. Mr. Boom Gasper. You can call me L. You can call me Ed. You just, just fucking call me, do not you?
0: Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and this begins the focal point of this year, if you want to say, because there, again, we have mentioned this a couple times, there's a ton of anniversaries happening in 2023, and the idea that we came up with is we want to be on top of all of it, so... This is our first one where we're going to step in and we're going to really start celebrating. And for this one, it's going to be the 20 years of the Riot Act Tour in 2003. And for this one, I, I think, you know, what I what I love to do, and we try to do this in general sometimes, is that we try to keep them pretty close to the anniversary date. It's impossible to do it for everything. But any chance that we have to kind of keep it close to an anniversary date, and I, I really feel like... This is needed for talking about 20-year anniversary stuff. I think that's important enough that we we get it as close as possible. So today's show, we are going to do a show from Sydney, Australia from 2003. That happened on Valentine's Day. And there was a lot going on. A lot going on in the world. A lot going on with Pearl Jam. And it'll be interesting to get all the details and talk about all that. So why don't we start doing that? Randy Sobel over here. John for over there.
2: Hello, hello what's up yes yeah, sydney we're on a little bit of a mini around the world thing here too it's been a few weeks since we've done a usa show we did mexico city then london and now sydney and then we we'll, we'll see what happens next week
0: but next week is u.s technically but i mean it's so far apart that you right. know it, it right. does feel like going back to <laughs> a big city is gonna feel almost welcoming at, at some point you know
2: Yeah, we're going to do a little Pacific tour for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Like, how many times has Pearl Jam played a show on Valentine's Day? This worked out pretty well.
0: Well, you know, I actually posed this to the Internet and all of the social media platforms that we focus on on the Internet. And I told people, like, I went out and dig this fact because I know that they never play in the winter. And if they do, it's usually down in Australia. So I looked. I looked to see how many February shows Happened since 2003, and not counting the AOL sessions, which were recorded in February, I, I'm, that's not a show, that's uh, something else of another degree, but, but you have to go back to 2014 for the only time that they've done a February show after the 2003 tour, and that happened in Perth, Australia, when they were doing that big day outrun really early on that year. So I would assume that maybe, maybe one of the Japan shows in 95 or something like that. I, I think that was a little bit later in the month, but this could be the only one.
2: I mean, you never even think about it until we're, till we're here in it. And it's like, oh yeah, there's like not a lot of shows. But yeah, I think some of those 95 ones, I think late it was like the Taipei and Singapore. Some of that stuff was late in February. But yeah, I mean, it's another one where we gotta talk about how, you know, Australia is kind of due. I think that 2014 was was the last time they'd been there. So those those it guys was. are due as well. So I'm hoping that that's gonna change here in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, we kinda of talked about that, and it has to be brought up every time we do talk about Australia because it does seem rare, even though we did cover that Newcastle show a couple of months ago, not not long ago. But yeah, like The whole idea, Australia seems to be getting the rough end of the stick on all this. And I know that there are so many places that they haven't been back to in this amount of time and this amount of time, but all 2014 was big day out. So they need to go down there and have like a Pearl Jam centric show and do it for three days in Brisbane, three days in Sydney, three days in Adelaide three days in Melbourne, they need to go and do these like package sets down there and really kind of give them what they deserve because yeah, Australia, I mean, it sucks. It's such a cool place. And it's one of those on a bucket list. I just want to hit it up someday and and be able to say that I traveled there, whether it be for a Pearl Jam show or not, I don't care. I think it's just a kind of a cool place to go adventure out to, but it gets forgotten about, unfortunately. And even in the spectrum of just, let's say Pearl Jam, like there's a couple of shows that, yeah, you go back to, you go back to Melbourne in 95, you go back to Melbourne in 98, but you know, as far as like connecting those shows with everybody else, it, it, it's tough to find a lot of those shows that everybody knows.
2: You know, it wouldn't be so bad if they hadn't been teased. I think it was Stone in an interview a couple of years ago. It was like, oh, yeah, maybe when we come back, we'll go to Australia or something and start a tour there. And it's like, I think it was Ed. Ed was like, yeah, dude, you can't say that and then like not do it. These you got these people's hopes up and then you're just going to like drop the ball on it. Like, yeah, that, that that makes it even worse, I think.
0: You know what Ed said specifically was, you know, as a thank you for them for dealing with COVID right, so quickly right. that they were going to do that. And and you know what, like let's I know we're talking Australia right now, but we shouldn't leave out New Zealand. I sure. think like New Zealand is part of this, so I'm we're not trying to because I know like I get it when you know you're just kind of a smaller country and you're being left out and nobody wants to be left out of that. This New Zealand's had great shows too. So yeah, they're part of that. And of course if they go down to Australia, they should definitely go down to New Zealand too. Just want to throw that out there. But yeah, there's no excuse at this point. I think it's just kind of logistics within the whole entire band's schedule. It's probably easier for them to do more u.s dates and know exactly what arenas and yeah they're going to do some of the same arenas you know more times in a row and all that but i think everybody is overdue in a way you know As, especially the places that didn't get yep. last year so Australia's obviously that well you know it's it's funny because last week we talked a lot about you know, the beginnings of songs. It was the beginning of the binaural tour and songs were on their fourth, fifth, sixth play. And that's kind of the same in this set too. You kind of get some of those songs like Thumbing My Way and Love Boat Captain and Ghost and Crop Duster that are all kind of dipping their feet for the first time. And actually, as a matter of fact, we'll get there next week too with 1998, where a lot of those songs are being played for like the third and fourth time as well. So it's a new tour of beginnings and and it's interesting because it is a new frame of mind in a way but also there is something kind of interesting within this show that makes you think that playing these songs for the first couple times that they've been playing them they kind of like what we mentioned last week those themes and those stories that those songs are about are still hitting them really really hard especially this is still the songs that come after Ross killed. This is still on their minds. So you're going to see versions of I am mine, Lobo captain thumbing my way that just have a different vibe to them than what you would know. Even later on the 2003 tour, when they get out to us, when they go to North America, it does feel a little bit different.
2: Yeah. And you think this is not too far removed from them show wise from that night two in seattle in 2000 where alive came back like they didn't play at all in 2001 they only did the few shows late in 2002 and then i think this is like what just the fifth or sixth show of the tour like in, in australia so yeah that that's kind of recent history for them and they were, that's going to come back later on but they had not been playing much around this time this is kind of the beginning of of them getting back on and doing this kind of long year of touring
0: And also what was happening at this time of year, as 2003 is basically synonymous with this, is that, especially in February, the Iraq War would start sometime in March. But a couple days after this show took place, there were worldwide protests, and it's still considered to be the largest worldwide protest in the history of the world where somewhere between 6 million to 10 million people marched and protested the Iraq war from all over the world like US, Canada, Australia, go to, you know, other places like Brazil and, and those kind of places and yeah, like they were all protesting this. And this is essentially what the riot act era is kind of circulated around and you know, we're right in the thick of it and we kind of get to see and get a glimpse into what this was like and how this was affecting this band.
2: Yeah. It's kind of the unwritten kind of cloud that's over this whole tour. And yeah, if you don't kind of put yourself back into that frame of mind, you could miss it. Cause it's, some of it is a little bit subtle that you have to kind of like look for it, but it's definitely on their mind. Like the the specter over this whole show is like the threat of that war coming up and like i remember everyone kind of knew that it was going to happen and it was like a foregone conclusion that like we're going to be going to war in iraq and it's and a lot of people i think he mentions here like we are we are here as representatives of the united states of america and that does not represent us so yeah it's something that they talked about constantly this whole tour
0: yeah, and once things get worse and once you hear the reports coming out of Iraq and the people and, and the, the death count numbers and everything like that, they just keep getting madder and madder and madder as time goes on. And, you know, it leads to situations that happen in Denver, situations that happen in Nassau Coliseum. So, yeah, this is kind of the start of all that here. You do get to see little glimpses. So, I failed to mention in the beginning that this was a Patreon requested episode here from our patron, longtime patron, Greg Burns Mickelsons, And he's somebody that I got to meet during, I can't say the Vegas show because the Vegas show didn't happen, but when it was supposed to happen, both of us ended up still going to Vegas and we met at the karaoke party. And he was a great guy and glad I got to meet him. And we're going to tell his story. This was his pick, this was a show that he wanted to tell. So, why don't we get into that? Hey Randy, hey John, I don't have heaps of memories that add anything to my re-listening of the bootleg, the main one being Ed's preset of Patriot and Hide Your Love Away, that had a great sing-along, the lack of energy and connection between the band and the audience due largely, I think, to Ten Club only getting preferential seating on night one at the Australian shows, and how gassed they were after the first run of songs. Matt Cameron was pushing the temple all night, and it felt like the band, especially Eddie, were struggling to keep up. This show is maybe a 6 or 7 out of 10 for me. That's interesting. Not a lot of people give 6 and 7 shows the one that they want to request for us to cover, so that's very interesting. The top three moments being Save You, Massive Kick after Can't Keep, not really setting the table as an opener. Oh, I'll have to squash that one later. McCready letting rip and Eddie not holding back vocally at the end of the song. Number two is Black. Jeff is my main man. More on that later. His bass lines were slinky and smooth on the fretless, but McCready is the star here. The solo is not overstated, beautiful, and soaring. And Boom playing the doo 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 doo's riff on the keys on the outro was tasty. Number one is Thumbing My Way. If Ed was really struggling hearing himself on acoustic, then it is even more magical. It was pin drop quiet, and I really love this version. So, why have I picked the show? It's not an all-time classic and not the best show, let alone Australian show that I've seen. Well, being 23 at the time, my life's mission was to meet the band. I had been lucky enough to meet Stone and Mike at a Brad show, and I shook hands with Eddie after night one in Sydney. But Jeff is the man. I'm a bass player and graphic designer, and Jeff has been my biggest inspiration on both fronts. Over the first couple nights, I'd overheard which hotel the band was staying at in Sydney and adamant to meet Jeff, I had a coin flip decision to try and meet them near the stage exit where I met Eddie or drive to the hotel and try to beat them there. As the opening notes of Ledbetter started to ring out, I made a beeline for the exit and I chose to wait near the stage exit. Minutes later and the venue doors burst open and everybody started pouring out. Ten minutes late and the stage exit doors open and the band is straight in the van on the way to the hotel. I'm crestfallen and disappointed in myself. Keep in mind that the show is on Valentine's Day. I met the show by myself, and more than that, I had asked my girlfriend and a friend of hers to hang out at the hotel. They waited out the front of the hotel for a while and got to talking to the doorman. So as the band shows up, they head into the hotel and the doorman waves my girlfriend in to follow them. She approaches them, tells them how good the show was that she wasn't at, and they happily oblige with a couple of photos. She calls me soon after and lets me know that she met a couple of the guys, but wasn't sure who they were. It was Mike and someone else. I met up with them after battling traffic and scrolled through the photos that they had taken, and sure enough, the other guy that they met was Jeff. Unbelievable. Late that year, I was lucky enough to see a couple of all-time shows, MSG 1 and 2, and then Mansfield 3. I have got some crazy stories from that trip, but not for this episode, and I was fortunate enough to meet Jeff almost 10 years later after the random show in San Francisco. Thanks so much for that, Greg. Great to tell your story, and appreciate all the support over the last couple of years, and hoping to tell more stories with you in the future. Alright, question of the week here is actually going to tie into our show opener. Once we get into it, I'll have a lot to say on Can't Keep, but it got me to thinking, because Can't Keep is used so very, very little, especially now, but barely even in 2003, too, that I was just interested in hearing some songs that may have never been considered to be a show opener, and what you would think would be the ones that would make sense. So we have some answers here. John's going to read them from Twitter. I'm going to read them from Facebook. The first one I'm going to take is from Matt Summers, who says, Strangest Tribe, in my opinion, would be the perfect opener for a Pearl Jam show. What's your thoughts about that?
2: Oh, I I love Strangest Tribe. I would love to see that. It kind of sets the theme of like, he acknowledges like, yeah, you guys are the Strangest Tribe. It's going to be a little bit of fan service to open up. And I like that a lot of people are going into the seated kind of slow opening that they're doing now. A lot of people I'm looking at took that into account. So that that's cool, too. But yeah, I mean, what Strangest Tribe has been played with four times,
0: three Dude. times, two. So, yeah, we, we can only hope. I think that would be a really good idea for like a 10 club show because that is that that's narrowing it down, you know what I mean? Because you are in arenas, there's going to be a lot of people saying, "Holy shit, this is what we got," but there're going to be a lot of people that are like, "Okay, this is not what Pearl Jam usually does," which is, look, it's okay, but I think that it would really hit home at like a Vic Theater kind of show, if you know what I mean.
2: Follow it up with with small town or something and get everybody going. What
0: do you got for your first one?
2: I got Doug Fisher says it would be super chill to ease into an evening with Around the Bend. Again, something from No Code always gets my attention. And Around the Bend is another one that's kind of like maybe a little bit of the same kind of vibe as Strangest Tribe, where it's more like a kind of a lullaby, kind of lilting, kind of get everybody like, okay, like we got to, we're going to settle in, get everybody going. But Around the Bend has that little bit of like, weirdness a little bit of edge to it too where they could they could play it a little creepy and think it'd be pretty cool so oh good good job doug on that one
0: yeah some of this is just like if, if somebody's bringing it up and I was very open, and sometimes I'm not very open about this stuff. I'm like, oh, they would never do that. They would never do that in a thousand years. But like outside of bugs and dirty Frank, I was pretty open to all of these responses. And I like around the bend, and I think it's just really tough when a song's only been played a, a minimal amount of times. Of okay, like where does it fit? Where to put it? And I know in '96 they were actually using it as a closer a little bit, mm-hmm, right? which I thought yeah, was great. Yeah, and. I'd be open to have that happen again. That would come out of left field in in 2023. But as an opener, yeah, interesting. I think it would be a perfect Bridge School kind of show opener. And I'm just trying to, like, visualize it for an arena. If you're going to play it, and and again, my opinion doesn't matter, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, If you're going to play it within, like, the five or four-song warm-up stretch I would like to get it before the hard-to-imagine spot, like, right in number four, where you kind of build with your first three, and that one kind of takes you down a little bit before you get, like, a hard-to-imagine or present tense to kick down the chairs, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I think it could fit anywhere in that opening kind of sit-down section.
0: I'm going to take one from Tom here. He says, the first notes of immortality in a dark arena would be awesome. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, do we need to expand upon that? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't no. think so. It speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've got one from at David Edward thirty three says I think it would be awesome to start every Pearl Jam show by pledging our grievance to the flag, and you talk about coming out and making a statement about the current state of affairs in this country. That's a way to get everyone's attention right away. I'm down with that for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think you got You kind of got to think in a fantasy aspect too that a lot of what these responses are probably aren't going to happen but you're visualizing what a Pearl Jam show would be like with them every night to have pledging grievance to the flag I think it's cool but I also wonder what kind of tour that would be I wonder is that election year is that something going on in the world that they're mad about and I kind of going there's plenty to be mad about of course there is, but yeah. you know I think that kind of adds into it. I can see it, though. I think it's probably opened a couple of shows on the binaural tour, but not one. many.
2: It's usually one, one time in 2004 on the oh. change tour in D.C.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I, I could have sworn that it was like two or three times in you 2000, know, but the top times top is
2: five. Yeah, but never first.
0: Yeah. A ton of times. is Number two, and number three. Mm-hmm. Okay, Cool. I'll give this one to Chris, Chris Warren here, because a little shout out from what I was saying before, he is a New Zealander, so he says, Indifference, first song, lights on, and then lights off into nothing as it seems, because you get Jeff's already on the upright. Yeah, it's the Bizarro set, you know what I mean? And Indifference has been done as an opener two times before, which is just kind of, absurd, obviously back 1993, 1994 too, but I'd be really into that, I think. Because it still gives you that same vibe of like starting out and kind of starting out a little bit more pensive and starting out a little bit more you know, it's kind of somewhere in between what release and what I guess pendulum would be in a way. So I think it could work, and it has the big crowd moment, of course, at the end that it can really kind of invite you into the full set.
2: Yeah, that one, like, it just talk about like turning things upside down. It would be so hard to get out of that headspace of it being the closer, but they could play it differently. You know, they could play it with a little more tension and a little more, more like a pendulum and like a release style. I, I think that could work. It'd definitely be weird, but it wouldn't. I mean, wouldn't this be is all going to be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to mention before we thought there was a few people who mentioned Gigaton songs and I thought that was great. JVP said Retrograde. Carl Ogren said All Right. Fabricio Santibanez says River Cross. Ken Pires says Buckle Up. So I love that. The that Hardy, whole album right there. Yeah, people going for like kind of the off the wall Gigaton songs to open up. I love that.
0: Let's get into this set by getting into a preset. There's going to be a couple of songs here to start with. And then he's going to do one with Betcha Dupa, which I'm sure most of you don't know the name, but you will know the name of Liam Finn. And that was his band, so that makes a whole lot of sense, them playing down in Australia. We have I'm a Patriot and You've Gotta Hide Your Love Away as the two Eddie Solo songs. And, you know, at first I was wondering if they did them for the Triple J broadcast, but I don't think they did, because this was broadcast on the radio down in pretty much all of australia so i don't think that he was doing it for that i think it was more of like let's give liam and the guys some love and make sure people are in their seats for him
2: definitely it comes out and sings they do history never repeats which is super cool but hydra love away was very very nice it kind of sets the tone for like on Valentine's Day, you're going to want to do kind of a more romantic song. We don't really get that in the main set. It doesn't really have that kind of vibe. So that it was nice that he came out and, like, kind of played a love song to start off and get everybody going early on.
0: Yeah, both of them were nice solo versions. I think that Patriot's interesting to mention because in 2003, it would go through that little change that, like, not-so-often-remember, not-so-often-talked-about change where it's a little more stark, a little bit more tense and all that. So... Yeah, just kind of throwing that in. Also, we haven't really talked about I'm a Patriot in a very long time, so good to go back on that one. And yeah, History Never Repeats with Betcha Dupa, which was very good, too. Glad that we had all three of those on record there. However, now we get to start off the real show with a song that I can't remember the last time that we talked about on this program. And guess what? We're going to spend some time on it now. The opener for the show is Can't Keep And there are only 25 versions of the song, so there's not a lot to go off of, especially when you're kind of covering this podcast-wise and you're not doing a lot of those shows and kind of can't keep gets-off-your-mind a little bit. But I do remember some of the later versions, like you know, ones that they would play in 2013-2014, it didn't have like the same emotional grab that the album version does. And what I got from this opener was that it turned the song, and even on the album, I don't get this feeling, but it turned the song into something with just a massive edge to it. And I don't know if it was just kind of like letting everything build and letting everything escalate, and then, you know, Mike adding in some of those flourishes was very, very good, but it kind of felt like this had a purpose more often than we would see it later on this is only the third time it ever played so like they're i'm assuming comfortable with it but this had something special to it and it was just a different kind of identity and i think there's things that they did later where i think that ed would kind of embellish some lyrics and it was a little hokey in a way but this felt like intense serious a little bit mysterious as well but had a nice edge to it
2: yeah it definitely has that tension that they can pull out on a song like this and yeah like in the later years it probably loses that and like yeah just criminal that they haven't played this since 2014 like that's ridiculous he just sounds incredible on it just the timbre of his voice like the way it, it carries through the song it just adds so much to it and I thought Cameron too, like this is a hard song to play rhythm to, but I thought Cameron does a really good job of keeping up that rhythm and playing up the tension and the intensity like you mentioned and and making it seem really kind of like something else is kind of bubbling under the surface of the song and I cannot believe it's only been played 25 times, like that's just crazy.
0: All right, can't complain about these four all in a row to kick off your night. It's Save You, it's Hell Hell, it's Corduroy. And for the third week in a row, essentially, it's Grievance following Corduroy. Uh, last week, I think, was Grievance into Corduroy, but we mm-hmm. did another version. It feels like it's coming up a lot lately. But nobody's complaining about that. What was the highlight of this? It's easy to kind of say that Corduroy was probably it, but all of these had intensity all of these had good chemistry it felt like they were on to a really hot start here but what was the one for you that really stood out
1: oh
2: it's hard not to pick corduroy because mike at the end of corduroy is doing something very very different sounds very cool like corduroy sounded really confident but i'm gonna go with save you i mean getting the the one two punch of variety act early on and you could hear boom really prominent on save you as well on the keyboards Boom is still the new guy. This is only what his eighth show or something like that. So getting to hear him early on was very cool.
0: Yeah, Boom has a couple of moments in this show, so yeah. very excited to get to talk about him more. But I think, yeah, I think for me, it's 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 gonna be Corduroy. And you mentioned the solo, but like the thing about the solo is that building off of the bridge, it sounded like you weren't really sure what Mike had in store for it. It kind of like creeped its way in a little bit. And then when it was able to kind of adjust and figure itself out, it blew you away. And I think outside of that, what I was really paying attention to was some of the symbol work that Matt was doing right near the tail end. It was just kind of like a, almost like a double time tap. and, And it just gave this more of a presence. And that's a lot to say when Corduroy already has a massive presence. It was excellent, and yeah, a star from the very, very early onset of the show. Oh yeah, probably like the, maybe their best song at the time, live. Like
2: every night in 2003, Corduroy is the highlight. But even early on too, you get a lot of little like lyric changes and little subtle things going on. I think in Hail Hail, he says, if you could regulate me. And then in Grievance, he says, I'm buying. It's just a lot of little things going on that lets you know like Head's got something on his mind. All right, we get Ed
0: addressing the crowd for the first time. says, we should warn you that tonight we're going out on radio. Hello to you, Sydney, and hello to the rest of Australia. I'll just warn you because you're not allowed to say shit, piss, or fuck on the radio. For context, shit, I thought my seats were going to be better. Piss, as in, I gotta take one. Or fuck this absurd idea of going to war. There you go, that's exactly what's on their mind. We also want to recognize what night this is. February 14th, it's Valentine's Day. The six of us here want to thank our girlfriends and wives. Some are here and some weren't able to make it. They are the ones that prop us up here to do this and keep us balanced on the tight wire. And now you're going to get into another section of a couple of Riot act songs here, starting with Ghost and Crop Duster, and then you're going to finish off that little bit with Dissident. Ghost is, I think the one to chat about here, and the reason why is because there's something really interesting going on in Ghost that we had to ask our gear guru, Hobby, about. So to tee that up, Mike is doing something in between the first chorus, second verse, where it's this very low octave kind of sound, very bassy. And I was really interested to see what pedal it was and how he was creating that sound. So I'm going to play the sound for you right here and Javi's going to talk about it a little bit. So let's listen. The TV, to
1: me, news the
3: Hello, Randy. Hello, John. Hello everyone on the podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. We are doing Sydney this week. Uh, The song Ghost, which as we know for Pearl Jam fans, you're one of the lucky ones if you have heard that song live. So in this little solo that Mike does, he's using something called the Octave pedal, which is made by Boss. There's plenty of them out there, not specifically from that brand. It makes the guitar sound like you're playing a 12-string instrument. So when you have you have this little knob that it says like plus one or minus one so you can set up the octave in your instrument to go higher or lower so in this case makes the guitar sounds like it's very bassy and low in this case Stone over his end, well he's doing the, the, the chords, he's doing the notes but it sounds like he's using a tremolo in the back like a tremolo pedal or it might be the tremolo from the amp but actually it's not a tremolo there's no tremolo pedal on his board during this time what it actually is is an MXR Face 90 that is set up in a very fast paced setting with enough all over to the right that it makes it sound like a tremolo super clever coming from stone again but yeah it's a it's a fun fact that i wanted to add over the song
0: Once again, great stuff. And one of these days, we're just going to get like a diorama of all of the eras and all of the boards and what they were using and how it all worked. One day it's going to happen. We'll make a nice little series of it somewhere. But he's doing a good job. And I promised him that I was going to give him another nickname because I thought of it the other day. And John, you, you can yay or nay this, I suppose. But. Um, in tribute to one Jonathan guitar, I was thinking about calling him Javi guitar along with the gear guru.
2: Oh, that's, that's going to get a, that's going to get a thumbs down from me. I um, like, I'm sorry. Sorry about I, that. I have a feeling. Gear like. guru is uh, is, is solid for, for Javier. Yeah. But, but yeah, thanks Javier. I mean, for him to go through and, and take the time and pull these things out that we kind of like throw at him is super cool. And he's done a great job.
0: We have a a lyric change in Crop Duster that was kind of the same, like, changing pronouns a little bit. I was an accident. Yeah, every time I hear Crop Duster, it's just, get me to that finish. And I'm not saying that the song meanders prior to that, but I think the takeoff from that point up until the end, the moon is rolling around. I say this every time we cover this. Like, that is the song right there. That is the meat and potatoes of what you're trying to get to. I
2: love Crop Duster. And again, another one that they've... It's only been played once since 2013, and I would love to hear this song. I never skip it when it comes up. It's never really on the front of my mind when I think of Pearl Jam songs that I like, but every time that it comes up, I really like it. I think they just never really found a groove with it live, like none of the versions that I think I, that I remember, even though we obviously haven't talked about all of them by any means. But None of them really, I think, stand out as being particularly like noteworthy. They never really took it in a, in a different direction, never really had a chance. But I always think it's cool when it comes up. And again, you've got an, another little riot act duo here together. Like they go together on the record and they're right here together in the show. So I think that's cool. I like these two back to back.
0: The only thing on Dissident is that it's getting the debut for the first time since that Seattle show in 2000 there is another song hint hint that'll come a little bit later that will also get its 2003 debut so that's kind of a tee up for that and believe that what it is the next portion of this is going to be given fly into even flow given fly was really good a- again ed kind of changes thing instead of well fuckers he says fuck him. he still stands uh, the stone a little lick happening between like the start of the first verse that sounded really really good and yeah, a good version here. I think that flow was kind of the standout, really kind of fancy strumming and pick work from Mike in the solo that allowed the crowd to take notice because there was a, I don't know if you heard it, but there was a little bit of a surge, like an extra oomph from the crowd when he does that.
2: Yeah, he went really heavy on like the whammy bar on this one. These are usually not the ones that I gravitate towards, but yeah, a little more, a little more on the flashy side. Again, the, the first ten song of the night, everybody knows the song, so you're getting that that big surge from the crowd. Yeah, I did notice that. That was that was cool. Always good to hear for the first time. There's not a bunch of like huge crowd moments of the show. I think. From what you can read on, on Five Horizons, it looks like they kind of lost the crowd during the crop duster kind of dissonant part of the show, but definitely, Given to Fly and Even flow are going
0: to bring them right back. We're going to talk about the crowd in just a second, because yeah, uh, there's something there. But of course, continuing the anti-war theme for the night at the end, you know, the never vote Republican, this time, belting out, God, I hate Republicans to end this all. So nicely done. Okay, we're going to get into a section here where I Am Mine, Love Boat Captain, Wishlist, and thumbing My Way all kind of work together as a theme. The way that Ed kind of is teeing it up, he's going around the horn and introducing the band, but he goes to introduce Boom. Boom's the new guy. And if you're not used to this, I don't blame you because we're not there yet. The crowd, and maybe hear like one or two people do it, but the crowd is not saying boo. And also on a few of these songs, including the
1: next two, couldn't do it without them on keyboards. the B3 from the Hawaiian Islands, Boom Gasper.
0: Believe it or not, right? It's just a nice little polite clap for the, for the new keyboardist. Yep, hadn't, hadn't caught on yet. I want to see at some point when we kind of get into more of these 2003 shows, like what was the crowd that really sent it over the top? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be Japan. Yeah. I will no. just tell you that much. It's not going to be Japan. So maybe there's one within that April run. I'm looking at something like champagne, like a big crowd kind of show that maybe that was the one that it broke out. Maybe it just kind of gradually happened too. but yeah, polite golf clap. And that's about it. I am mine and love Bo Captain are going to be the first two. I Am Mine was a highlight for me. And speaking of Boom, I felt his presence on this. And it was just kind of overall, as we talked about last week, a lot of these songs channeling the original theme and focus of what was written about the songs for the the studio album. I thought that I Am Mine definitely challenged that kind of identity, being an anthem for overcoming adversity. And it kind of just continues to linger throughout the next, Three after that like their section to almost mourn the ross killed victims because they really i guess on the binaural run since they didn't have any songs written about it like they didn't have a chance to really do anything like that but it's interesting because you, once you get later in the tour these songs are, are good on their own and they don't really, here and there they'll, they'll spout a little bit of some memorial or something like that but this felt like all in one, everything was dedicated to, as Ed would say in Love Boat Captain, Lost Nine Friends were getting to know more and more each day
2: Yeah, the mood definitely changes like up to even flow, it's like alright, you're getting, getting some rockers getting, you know, a couple of the songs thrown dissonant and corduroy, hail, hail in there but after even flow it's like we're getting to the back half of the set and it's like okay, like there's definitely a mood shift with I am mine and you can tell we don't have a video for the show unfortunately, but you can hear how hard Ed is strumming on that ending part. Like his guitar, you know, is front and center, you know, you know what he sounds like when he's pounding on that Stratocaster. Those versions I always love when you can tell that Ed is putting like everything he's got into the song and yeah, I thought it really elevated kind of everything in, in this little section here.
1: We're safe to tonight
0: good bottled up tension is what that is that yeah the song kind of starts out and you're kind of waiting for that to release, and that section where, yeah, he really starts to get the strum in the bridge, that's all letting it out, and he's able to let it out at the end too. Yeah, it has a very much a
2: triumphant ending on it. I always talk about how, you know, oh, I wish they would let Mike go for a couple of minutes and turn it into like a five or six minute song, but because they don't do that, that it's, it leaves it a little bit unresolved, and it lets it kind of bubble over into the next song and the next song after that, so yeah, that that's well done here.
0: Yeah, Love Boat Captain, I think, this is another one. It just feels like that line that I mentioned, Lost Nine Friends, we're getting to know more and more each day. I don't know what happened, but that that felt like a gut punch when I heard that. And, you know, out of the many, many times that we've covered shows where there have been tributes and dedications, like, it still means something. It still stings, and you can tell even with the band that had two occasions this past year where they paid tribute like it's still 20 years later affecting them and it's really affecting them here when they get a chance to perform these songs about the situation that happened and really kind of get to tap into that emotion and you can even tell you know the end of love boat captain i think is kind of telling here because you can kind of hear Ed get choked up and he misses some lyrics. And I don't know if it was like an instinctive response to just kind of almost like he was about to let the crowd have it, but it's too new of a song for the crowd to really do a call and response on. So he redoes the whole thing and it's like, it's just touching and it's kind of fragile and delicate. And you can tell he's feeling a shred of pain while this is going on.
2: Extremely extremely poignant and like yeah his voice kind of breaks and like he almost goes to a whisper and you can tell like oh he can't sing this right now like it's it's still too real and like yeah it's it's going into that last verse and then the crowd picks up with the clapping and they kind of like get him back into it but yeah that was oh that was an extremely powerful moment from the show.
0: Wishlist and thumbing my way following up on that. Now I went back and I listened to Wishlist on its own because when I listened to that outside of Love Boat Captain I just, I felt sad. I felt sad. And I think the overall sense and knowing that Thumbing My Way would be afterwards is that there was just kind of like a a mournful energy in the air. And Wishlist, I kind of felt when listening to it within the sequence of the set, like that also kind of came off as being one of the songs that they were still kind of mourning. And, And I think even going back and like listening to the version on its own maybe not as much but it's the ending that really kind of felt like it tapped into that and really kind of seemed like that was the transition into thumbing my way they do a nice little outro on it kind of something that they don't really do they don't go back into any lyrics or anything like that it just kind of feels a little light and delicate and just kind of fit the mood
2: a few more little lyric changes in wish list I think probably add to that too. You can tell that like Ed is is processing some things, you know, left over from Maya Mine and, and Lobo Captain.
0: You think we get to know what kind of car he owns? <laughs> Off like yeah. Plymouth Sud.
2: Maybe, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. I'm reminded, you know, you mentioned, you know, kind of fragile and delicate a couple of times talking about these songs, and it reminds me of something. I used to have a book. It's called alt rock rama It's just a, a stupid name for a book of this. But it's like a, it's a really thick, like kind of alternative music Bible. And it's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's not just 90s, it goes back to the 70s and 80s. And I remember an article that's kind of stuck with me at the very end. It talks about, you know, what makes a classic, Song and, like, it needs, like, four things, right? And I I remember one of them was the ability to feel like it's going to fall apart at any moment. And I think a lot of songs on here have that. It adds, like, a tension and a quality, like, you're kind of transfixed when you're watching and listening. Like, man, are they even going to get through this? And I think captain a wish list and even i um, thumbing my way, which we're gonna get to in its own right. I think have that in spades and I think it adds a lot to to this little section here like I was I listened to it in headphones you know you could hear a pin drop. I was just listening to every note it it had me glued to the headphones.
0: What that is supposed to do is it it's supposed to create that mood that feeling it's supposed to set like it's not just the song that creates it it's the atmosphere that creates it and even when you're sitting at home and taking this in 20 years later it still feels the same amount of pain and i I wonder if ed can listen to it now and kind of be like whoa like that's something like deep-seated inside that like I understand that I remember that about me and I remember the situation we were going in and you know yeah it's historical at this point but it all kind of goes into the story obviously this is one of the most important stories in the history of Pearl Jam and you know the whole thing put together from then until now all is told in one sequence so yeah before thumbing my way happens he can't hear himself on stage in his monitor, so he's just asking everybody, can you hear me, can you hear me? And we we're able to hear him, so that's when they go into it. But like I was just waiting at this point kind of for the pick-me-up, because I thought three was just mid-set like this. It's a little long. You're You're going through a lot, and you kind of want it to pick up at some point. And like you're sitting through thumbing my way and you think at this point, like I should be balling on the floor crying because that's the intention of all this. This is the finish out. And yeah, it took you until probably the end of better man to really kind of feel the energetic and massive stage feel that a Pearl Jam show should feel like. But yeah, thumbing my way really kind of in a way kind of, got depressing and, and, and bummed me out. Oh no, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous version to I mean that. I'm not saying it wasn't, I'm yeah, just saying yeah. like they did their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thumbing My Way, I think this is one of the
2: great performances from this night. I think Stone was just dialed in, like this is perfect Stone here, the way he's playing the rhythm on this. I think it just sounds perfect.
1: I let go of thinking that's what drew me back. And in time, I've realized it's not. Johnny walls instead oh, I turned my back now there's no turning back oh.
2: Yeah, this version of Coming My Way I thought was note perfect, just absolutely fantastic
0: Sad as hell but fantastic, yeah. Yep. That's sometimes fantastic stuff doesn't need to be corduroy all the time. So now you you, you put this in, you, you kind of say like, okay, I think we need to make this feel like a rock and roll show again, and kind of get the like I was mentioning those energetic moments back. And Better Man is going to be Lucan in, and Insignificance following up, but you know, Better Man even in like the first half of the song, you still felt like they were still kind of getting over it a little bit, and they're still kind of processing. And then somewhere out of nowhere, towards the end of the song, it kind of ramps up a little bit, and you hear Ed doing that improv. We've heard him do that improv before. He's just belting, I need you, I want you, and it feels like he made a point to do that to kind of get some of that energy back, to kind of release the tension that all got bottled up within these songs, and now can go back on focusing on closing out the set strong.
2: Yeah, I thought the crowd has a little bit of a hangover to start better. Man, it takes them a while to kind of get into it. They, the crowd eventually does take the the verse from Ed at the beginning, but it they don't get to it till the second part. But yeah, I like I really like that improv as well. You know, the I need you, I want you improv. Again, Valentine's Day, so maybe a little, like, longing, a little bit of romance there. Just trying to sneak it in at the end of the set here. But, yeah, again, it's just a, you're trying to do a 180 here, getting away from kind of the heavier part of the set and trying to lighten things up a little bit. But it's all about getting to rearview mirror here.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Lucan is kind of like official, okay, wake up, everybody. If we didn't have you on Better Man, now we have you. We got Lucan. The minute's up insignificance is going to transition right out of that insignificance is another one another version of this that pulls you in revs up before coming to force and then you're just waiting for that big time cameron phil to jump back in and really kind of take this song to a good place and it does exactly that but river mirror is kind of the story here right oh yeah absolutely ed in the beginning is playing around he's kind of like stretching sort of something really kind of a low springy sort of sound for the intro and that kind of sets the tone and puts you in the mode for rear view mirror the bridge here cool. very very riffy a lot of cool feedback effects
2: I really thought it, it meanders a lot like it almost sounded a point like, like am I listening to pavement here like they were really kind of took it and like ran with it in different ways and it kind of had a little bit of like you talk about lazy, you know, it doesn't have the connotations that you think it does, but more like a lazier kind of jam where they're just kind of letting it go and letting it explore, letting it go where it's going to go. A little different than than with the ones that we've heard recently. So, yeah, that was kind of a, a welcome change. But I prefer the rearview mirrors that are really pummeling and really kind of hit it hard and get to where they're going. But this one felt like it was just kind of taking its time and, and it was going to get there when it got there.
0: Yeah, I used the adjective uh, simplified for that like it was just kind of as you mentioned very easy going and it didn't have to get away from itself some versions do but you can keep it simplified and a simplified your mirror is better than most bands on this planet closing song so big bang roll out to close the set and you're getting into the encore which means it's time for station identification and pause for talking about patreon and and other stuff We'll keep this brief. You guys know the drill. Patreon is the place where you can go and contribute to the show, contribute to our funding, because, look, as you listen to the show, if you're listening to this for the first time or you've in-took the last handful of episodes we've done or in-took this for the last couple of years, you guys know that we don't do any commercial, no advertising here. And, yeah, that's, that's we both are pretty passionate about that not being part of our show and if it was it would kind of ruin the concept of it just being a fan curated thing so because we don't make any funding off of that we kindly ask every week if you guys are willing to donate to our patreon monthly and that will help kind of fund us allow us to do things on the road when that comes time to And I actually, you know, speaking of on the road, I I do want to mention this because I meant to mention this earlier. But as we kind of know, we're at the beginning of the end for the MOPOP exhibit. It's supposed to be taken down on April 23rd is the last day. So we don't have a lot of time left. And unfortunately, I never got to see it. I've been to MOPOP a while back, but there was really no Pearl Jam stuff. There was more of a Nirvana exhibit and Jimi Hendrix stuff and Bowie stuff going on, but not a lot of Pearl Jam that was happening there. And and I I feel like this is something, like, it's just sad that it's going away because it feels like all this stuff should be in some kind of museum on its own. Like, you know, there's so much to see. There's so much history within this and so many great artifacts that what are you going to do after this? Just put them in a warehouse somewhere and just kind of keep them locked tight until the next time somebody wants to see them. Like it just doesn't feel like the best way to be implementing this stuff. And because of that, I'm really going to make an attempt to go before it closes down And there are a couple days that I want to try for. Nothing is set in stone right now. And who knows by the time that this comes out, maybe I've already bought plane tickets and set the whole thing up. But yeah, there's, there's two things. There's on March 13th, there is a painted shield show that I would love to be able to go there and do a couple reviews, maybe a podcast review, maybe a, definitely a website review and kind of write that up for people. But also, We have a little party that's happening there on April 14th, and that's kind of like the last hurrah where there's going to be some people that are curators of the museum that are going to be there answering questions and stuff like that. So it should be a lot more of the heart of the Pearl Jam fan base is is going to be there. So I'm not sure I would like to get to one. If I don't, it's not the end of the world, but I really kind of want to see this before I go. So I just wanted to throw that all out there. And, John, what's your take on the museum going away?
2: Yeah, I don't know because I don't know a lot about it. I've have never been to Seattle. I don't. I've never obviously been to Mopop. But hopefully they'll find a way to keep kind of the stuff alive and like not just kind of throw it back in the vault and lock it away for twenty more years. You know, hopefully we'll get to see some of the stuff pop up here and there. Maybe they'll kind of work on something else. Maybe you know, if there's a destination show later this year or next year, they'll be able to do a, maybe a little pop up something. But and hopefully we haven't seen the last of this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's something that they did at PJ Twenty. They had that yeah. pop up, as you were saying. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing. And you know, going out to Seattle would be kind of the first thing if they announce a tour later. Then make sure to get those spots of the tour. But it's really a lot of it is to be able to relay some stories back to you. And I would kind of. Probably do a whole live stream and video of the setup because it's going to be the last opportunity to see it all. So I'm excited for it if it does happen, but I will let you guys know when it does kind of come into fruition. But yeah, that's those are things to think about right now. So if you do want to contribute to the show, patreon.com slash live and four legs as low as dollar a month. That will get us to where we need to be, but if you're interested in getting show requests or interested in having a fan profile episode done on you, then there's the $5 Giga Leg Tier and there's the $10 Horizon Leg Tier. Free to subscribe to any of them. We're just thankful that people are interested in subscribing, and there's a lot of content over there, too, and hopefully by the end of the month, we're going to have a lot more. We talked about Love Boat Captain a little bit in this show, and that'll be an interesting, now that we got this version, now I'm really interested to kind of dig into the Evolution, because that's a real good kind of starting point of the story. I want to be able to finish that, so that's on our minds. Hopefully, that could be end of February, early March. If you haven't listened to the Evolution episodes yet, I implore you, just please go and find them. They're all on the website. John, where are they on the website?
2: On on liveonefourlegs.com. Search episodes and then Patreon episodes, and you can find them all right there. And one more thing I want to mention on the website, you know, working on finishing up the 2013 Concertpedia reviews, going back and kind of going through what everybody sent in. Just so much thanks to everybody who took the time out and, and wrote Concertpedia reviews for us. We're working on getting those up as fast as we can. Hopefully going to get on a good run with the years coming up here. We'll try to get, get a bunch done this year. And yeah, 2013 is a big one. It's it's a lot of shows getting through it, but be on the lookout for that soon. And just go check out the Concertpedia. Just browse around. We've done everything from part of 2013 is up right now all the way up through the shows from last year so definitely go and check those out
0: i think you said it all right there let's go back to the rock so as we start our encore and this has kind of happened when bush leaguers opened the encore before nobody's saying anything but you kind of get that kind of drone of the song that kind of leads you in you have the recollection from five horizons and you don't have video for this, so you don't get the full experience. But yes, if you're asking right now, it is the full Bush Leaguer experience. Sparkly jacket, the Bush mask, everything. I don't know if he had a wine bottle on him, I'm not sure of that detail, but it's the whole kind of thing. And and yeah, it's interesting them doing it down in Australia. And I know that there is an art to it and there's a point to get across, but That's just one thing. I'm never sure if they do something that is kind of reflected on the U.S. And I know that this was a big deal throughout the world, of course. But like, how that's going to attach to an international country. And for this, I thought that it was kind of a meandering version. It was a little bit clunky. Fine in an overall sense. But you kind of need the crowd to be a little hot for this. And it just felt like they were just like, oh, there's a spectacle happening. And that was it. And then at the end of the song, when they kind of like do that sort of slow paced sort of jam at the end, it just felt like it went on a bit too long.
2: You know, only the fifth version. So, you know, still very early on. And you try to think like, obviously, America is one of the giant powers of the world, but think about like what would be your reaction if an Italian band came over and played a song about how they don't I'll like the man, Italian president so and made a whole spectacle of you'd be like alright, that's, that's yep. something that's interesting, I okay I'm, I, yeah, I don't have a strong opinion either way but you could go for it man, I'm, I'm down I think it's probably met with like more amusement and like kind of like more spectacle than anything else you know this isn't the crowd that's going to get be really rowdy with it and, and give a big reaction like like some of the ones later on in the year would
0: and i think that's good that daughter followed up on it because you are getting crowd participation moment when you get into daughter as everybody kind of knows around this time when they were doing the showbox show they would use the war tag on this and the Showbox show box is, is the one to go to it's the Ooh. moment you know that kind of like sets the standard for everything to come which you should not really pay attention to that in this version every version is different so i love the little lyric thing the shades go down, the bombs go down, you know. and he gets the crowd involved with this. He's just kind of like, I need you on this. He mentions that we tried it in Seattle, we tried in Brisbane, it's your turn, let's do it for the radio, let's get your voices heard on radio. And there's a good engagement there, and Ed just, after every single one, he's like, louder now, louder now, and they're doing back and forth. There's no bitter rage or anger, he doesn't let the full blown out, but... Not bad, nonetheless.
2: Yeah, it builds and builds and builds, and you think, like, it gets to the point where, like, okay, if he's gonna lose it and go off, then this is gonna be it. But he reins it in, pulls it back down, and it, does kind of again land kind of quietly and just kind of like brings it in for a nice landing it doesn't go off into just the super angry kind of chaos version just kind of like okay they got it under control and just kind of bring it in but yeah again great to hear the crowd sing along on this. only a couple of times on the bootlegs so that, that was great okay,
0: so black and evolution are gonna be back to back here these are gonna be kind of hits as we go along, except for the kids are all right. But yeah, these are your typical songs that are going to get your crowd fired up. It's also been the third night in a row, so you kind of want to go out on a bang anyway. But yeah, Black had a really nice touch to it. And we're going to hear from Javi in just a second, but the acoustic from Stone is getting that tone-setting vibe. It's kind of taking you back to that middle of the set with Thumbing My Way and and Wishlist and Lubbo-Captain, I Am Mine. And it really felt like that solo, I, I equate it into going through therapy and having a breakthrough. Because there's some crying, there's some heartfelt meaning behind it and it really is going back to taking that vibe that was going on there and it's taking it into another song and black is a good one to do that too because you have so many different emotions happening in that and while the song of course has nothing to do with the situation it's the emotion that connects it all
2: yeah i thought this was full catharsis i agree i mean it it felt like ed was taking all of the Kind of angst and and tension that was in the air And just letting it out through this performance I thought this was, again, just I was transfixed listening to it Just really, really into it Trying to just absorb every second of it Stone and Boom together at the end Were doing something very, very cool sounded very good They were kind of locked in on the rhythm part there But yeah, another just insanely Kind of beautiful, powerful version of Black all around
0: Well, it's it's great that you mentioned Boom and Stone because that is actually where we're going to toss to Javier right here. And he's going to talk exactly about that. He's going to talk about the kind of guitar that Stone was using at the time and the implementation into where Boom was coming into some of these songs as well. So why am I mentioning it? He's going to talk about it, so let him go.
3: I think this is a beautiful version of Black. I think Boom playing the piano at the intro with Stone adds so much to it. I think it makes the song more sentimental. I don't know why, but I feel that everybody's just right, perfectly fit in the pocket. And everybody's just like completely in the zone playing this live version. On Stone's side, he's playing a guitar that is a national guitar, it's a Riso Electric model. This guitars have like a metal plate right behind the string, so it makes the guitar sound very, very mellow. It cuts out the treble out of the instrument a little bit, so you can get a very mellow sound coming out of this type of guitar. He was using this in between 2003-2005, and then I didn't see it very much coming up on tour. At the end, I wanted to take also like a little bit of time just about Mike McCready writing his love letter to each one of his influences. You can hear Mike's influences all over the song, all over this version. Like you can hear Eddie Van Halen with the use of the face 90 at the, end, at the beginning, Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan at the end, just with this combination of his wah pedals and this Univibe on all over the end. I think it's a really cool fact that he acknowledges that those guys were so important to him Till this day, whenever you hear him on interviews and how big of an influence to him as a guitar player. And you can hear it all over his playing, all over more than 30 years of career. All
0: right. Another great one from Javier. Thank you once again. And we are just trying to plan things with this and trying to get more tapped into it, because it's just, again, it's it's real estate that we just haven't dug into before, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it. I've, I feel like we've gotten a good response from it so far, but un- until you guys say, hell no, we want this out, then we're just going to keep doing it, because we think it's it's a good part of the story. But uh, yeah, we get into Evolution before getting into Alive, and yeah, Evolution kind of takes you completely out of that mindset. There's no sorrow, there's none of that emotional impact, there's Ed kind of messing up the Herd Behavior lyric, and he does it a little bit backwards, he's like, yep, that's Evolution right now. But also, he changes some lyrics here, which are pretty interesting. Those ignorant Maoris got nothing on me.
2: Maoris are like the New Zealand kind of native people, yep. I think. And just need to sketch, pissing
0: off New Zealand. So, sorry, guys. That kind of brings me back to the episode of Flight of the Concords yep, where. exactly what I was thinking about, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <Looking laughs> off fucking see. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. It's a classic, yep. yep. And then the other lyric change I'm the first man to play my penis. So. There are versions when you get down the line later where he'll say, "I'm the first mammal to shit my pants" or "to shit my corduroy pants." So, I'm I'm waiting for a good one to come up pretty soon. But play my penis is not bad either. All right, well, this is going to be interesting to talk about. So, a little bit of downtime before getting into the next one, and Ed just pops in and says, "We got, we just got an idea here. We're going to try something," and then. It's really funny because once they hit the riff for Alive, and you know what the story is. They didn't play it all of the Binaural Tour to bring it back at that Seattle show, and it was a really, really big deal that they did that. And you'd think a, a massive song like this, if they were able to kind of overcome that moment, then yeah, you can bring it back into sets and and you know maybe start off the year with it. Like that would kind of make sense in that aspect. But because this is the first time since then, I think it's just as important or even because it's a new year and everything like that, it's important more so because the story is prominent within the band and and, and the fans. And when that riff is hitting, you kind of get some chills and goosebumps listening to it because the crowd, you know that the crowd knows what's happening here. You know that they understand it's such a big deal. And you can even tell there's some nerves. There's a little bit of hesitation, especially the intro where like there's a a little bit of a one note or two notes that are a little off timing or something like that. (laughs) There's some kind of nerves going on in this, but I feel like, unlike the Seattle version, this one seemed to have more of the triumphant resolve in it. This one kind of seemed like it was getting over that hurdle of being the song that was kind of the curse in a way, and they were kind of ready at this point to bring this back, if not full-time, then very close to.
2: I didn't get that at all. I thought this was really. Like- I think this is the full curse is active because I don't think I'm looking like, yeah, you mentioned the the crowd, too. I want to go back to that. Like, yeah, this is night three in Sydney, and they had not played it, much less at, at any other shows yet. And I'm looking at this like they played in Adelaide a few days later. They didn't play it. Melbourne night two after that. They finally brought it back at the end of Encore 2 there. But then night three in Melbourne, they didn't play it. And it still wasn't every night, like a couple of those Japanese shows, they didn't really bring it back either. So I think this is still, they're still nervous with it. I think this is still the curse where like they're not sure what it's going to be going forward. And they I don't think they still really felt comfortable playing it. The solo section I thought was weird. I think normally where you would, would have the kind of triumphant part come in, where Mike lets loose and it's that big moment now. I thought that really wasn't there at this point. I don't know if he was holding back on purpose or something, but yeah, the the crowd obviously has a big reaction to it, but I felt like the band wasn't really sure what they were doing with it. I
0: thought the performance was pretty good, Like, I, and I was expecting it to be totally awkward. And yeah, they didn't play it a whole lot until you know later and, and getting into more of the North American shows, but it needs to start somewhere it needs to get back to normal at some point and this is the one to just kind of get into the baby steps and start walking and yeah not a perfectly triumphant version but it felt like when the nerves were kind of out of the way it did feel like they were able to kind of get into it a little bit more like Not the best solo in the world, but he's doing some things. It almost felt like a a three-headed monster of his natural solos that come from Alive. There were a lot of different kind of pieces with it, which I guess in some aspect, yeah, I can see where you'd think that maybe it would feel a little bit off. But, you know, overall, I think that this was a good first step. This is a good first step of getting it out there and they could have took the easy route and said nope that was a one-time thing we're not doing that and especially this show knowing what's on their mind and knowing what all happened through those four songs we talked about in black and all that like they could have just chose to not go there but they did they went there and it needs to start somewhere and by saying that the curse is broken at this point i mean that They've opened up the key to the door, essentially. Of course, it's not fully broken, but you need to start it somewhere. Did you catch the little lyric change in this one too? No, I guess not. He says, "Have I got a little Joey for you?" Oh, I did not catch that. Well, no. hey, that's that's another thing. If they were really hesitant and yeah. nervous about it, then want to throw that in, right?
2: Yeah, it's a little weird. Like, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, blink and you'll miss it, but a little nod again to the australian crowd there
0: i never blinked and missed anything in a song before just fyi blink with your ears yeah oh i've never done that either (laughs) give give it a try (laughs) anyway oh yeah oh that does work oh that's weird oh that's like a flickering sound (laughs) really that's strange if you guys try it out at home then you know there's a disclaimer here you know all the we're not liable for anything that could happen to you in a in an ear-blinking yeah. incident. Don't do it while so. driving. Alright, second encore. We only got two songs left, but we got a whole spiel that's happening before that. Ed is taking the stage, everybody chanting, there's some Eddie chants, and instead of saying, no, 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 stop that, Ed is egging them on. Calls for them to be louder. Okay, that is some progress with that. Come on, we gotta go off to Adelaide or some shit but we can't say anything bad about Adelaide. They might be listening, it being on the radio, of course. In all seriousness, when we have your attention, this Sunday there is a global world peace movement happening. He names two places where people are gathering locally and says he's going to be in one of the spots. The most real thing that you could do is show up in mass and make the guys who think they are speaking for you show them that they are not. As a representative of the United States, saying Bush and the Republican administration doesn't represent me, anyone else in this band, or anybody else that I know for that matter. And then takes a completely different turn by showing off his surfboard to the crowd and says, this is one that Mark Richards used to own. I'm going to guess that he probably gave it to him. And he wants them to take a good look at it, because if they happen to see it tomorrow, it's his day off, and he wants to get a fucking wave, and he's not stopping for anybody of change his course a little bit here and says actually if anybody gives me way i'll give them backstage passes for the rest of the tour and he's kind of saying tongue-in-cheek he's like we have big parties it's crazy and as we kind of figured out this past year they don't really stay much past a couple minutes backstage so i don't know if that was the case for the time but i assume it probably was yeah after all that he starts talking about pete townsend And it seemed like he was kind of doing the windmill thing. And he's like, Oh, he invented that. And he said he was misrepresented in the press because he was doing research on the thing that he got caught doing. He got arrested for it. And I think that most of you probably know this, but yeah, there was an an incident back in 2003 where Pete Townsend was doing some research on child uh, pedophilia and child pornography. And it became kind of a tabloid headline when he got arrested because he was trying to go to those sites in order to research them. And in order to research, he needed to use his credit card. So people were like, oh, well, that's him paying for the services. When the police went through and and looked at his records and all that, they didn't find any actual child pornography on him. So he, you know, it was all kind of, what are you going to do in that? Like, it's such a tough situation, so I, I'm glad that nobody, because that easily could have been something that years and years and years later, that that's the only thing that people think about when they talk about it. So I'm glad that that wasn't the case. Definitely,
2: yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, Ed doesn't always have the best history record with, you know, celebrity, you know, supporting, but he was adamant from day one that, like, no, he's he's innocent, and, he, and people are going to see, and he was proven right.
0: He gets into a version of The Kids Are All Right, and I love when there are solo electric versions of this. There's not many versions of this altogether. There's only 20. That's it, and this is the 14th. This is not a thing that happens anymore. Some of them are full band. Some of them are just him on acoustic, but the solo electric ones are the ones that get me because... It feels like he's putting all of his 13, 14-year-old heart and passion into this. The crowd clapping along with him is really special. And then even without the crowd's help, like in the moments where it feels like they're locked in and they're just listening and you are absolutely silent, just letting those notes ring out. Like that got to me as well. Like this was an excellent, excellent rendition of this song.
1: Sometimes I know I gotta get away. A bell's chime. I know I gotta get away. And I know if I don't.
0: that because it, it is sort of rare if they do bring it back I'd love to see him on Solo Electric doing this again. I, I think he's probably done this at solo shows I would assume so but yeah this is one I'd, I'd love to see brought back out of the cover
2: Yeah I agree I think it's it's fantastic and another callback to that Key Arena show at the end of 2000 where he did it as well. I think we, we had talked about that Who tribute the substitute tribute album where he he does it i think that's a version on there as well that's that's just him on electric but yeah i I agree i think it suits him perfectly and it suits the song perfectly and yeah i wish they would do it a lot more i think it, it hasn't been done i think since bridge school 2014 and before that it was like 2006 so yeah it's it's due to come back
0: yeah, I think even when it got down to, like, 2005, 2006, I think it was even in the uh, preset for a little bit. So, yeah, it's a thing of the past, but, again, like, old can become new again, and that's something that absolutely should. All right, before we go, let's thank Betcha Dupa, Johnny Marr, and the healers. Right, we didn't even mention that Johnny Marr opened up for him. And then it's led better to close out the three-night stand here. And, yeah, that's, look, it's tough to find a lot of show sequences where they've done three in a row, but when they do, I think automatically Ledbetter has to be your last song because it's just a culmination of everything that happens. And we know what happened later that year when they did Mansfield, and someday we'll talk about it, wake, wake, nudge, nudge. But a a good ending to a show that kind of we'll get to talking about in a second just led you in a few different directions. And Ledbetter was interesting in 2003 because, like,
2: this is still only the Live Footsteps as the 124th performance, which is a lot, but you think, like should be more than that but they played it like twice as much as as that since the show so still like relatively early on and i think in 2003 the song really took off like you mentioned that mansfield version and throughout the year where like after the iraq war the, he started messing with it a lot and those versions are very very good and very very noteworthy but it became something but they a yellow lead better it's not quite there yet this one felt it wasn't quite the celebration of the show that we know now still felt like they were just kind of like all right this is the one we do at the end we're just going to play it through and, and say goodbye
0: yeah not a version with don't know whether my brother is coming right. home with a boxer right. bag but yeah that's closing it out for us so now we get to do the three stars of the game here so what's on your list Oh,
2: my number three is Thumbing My Way. My number two, uh, Love Boat Captain, and my number one is Black.
0: Yeah, it's tough to not put Black on this list, but it's also, I got a couple others that I really want to get implemented here. I think number three for me is actually going to be I Am Mine. That kind of starts off, and the meat and potatoes is probably Love Boat Captain, Thumbing My Way, but yeah, I Am Mine kind of put that mindset and that emotion into place. I thought that was pretty significant there. I'm going to say for number two is... I'm actually going to say The Kids Are All Right. I really like this version, so I'm going to give it this credit there. And number one, because I can't... and I don't remember the last time that we did it, or I don't even remember if I put it in my top three, but I'm taking the opportunity to take Can't Keep as number one. Tremendous, (laughs) tremendous version, and it really... Sometimes you need a pick-me-up with some songs that you haven't been paying attention to a lot. And uh, that was my pick-me-up with Can't Keep. So, yeah, that's a keeper for that. Now, a rating. What you got with this one?
2: It's, I'm, I'm going to be, whew, it's going to be tough. I mean, this is not a, I don't think this is up there with like the, the classics that, that sometimes we talk about, but it definitely has some excellent, songs on it that I probably will go back to. You and I had very kind of different top threes, which is a, which is always a good sign. I'm going to give this one an eight. Tempted to go higher, but I think it's right there at that just very much above average show. But it doesn't quite have the, the moments that elevated anything higher than that.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page as you there, and I even thought, what's the dividing line between giving it a 7.5 and giving it an 8? And I think you kind of mentioned it, is that like there are six perfectly good moments that we enjoyed, and if you get that many, usually when you come out of shows sometimes, I keep saying this weirdly about the Nashville show last year, that like... I barely remember anything from it. Cause it was smack dab in the middle of five other shows that I was at. So like maybe I can remember like one or two things that I like, but I can't pick out six. No way. I barely remember what was in that set, but yeah, I think, I think I'll go eight with that too. It teetered in between. Cause I, I, I do think that as far as setless construction and stuff goes, while the stuff in the middle of the set was purposeful and all that, it just felt like it, took a lot out of them and it took a while for them to really fill back into form and even in the encore a little bit kind of them going back to that like you it, it's good to have that but like for a whole show it did feel like it went on a little bit long but it's, that's an eight. that's an 8 i'm fine with that so greg your show got an eight on both ends hope you enjoyed that Next week, we kind of teed it up that we're going to do an episode from 1998. Same kind of thing. A lot of very, very early performances from Yield. And it's kind of the first Yield show that they played. We're going to do the second night, though. And it's going to be the second night of Maui in 98. So I believe that's February 21st. Hawaii shows are a needle in the haystack, essentially. They went in 2006, but you know this little period of time and the 1992 kind of one-off show, You don't get anything else. It's, it's a tough place to to get shows down there, but it'll be really interesting to kind of see the firepower of these songs and what they had with them, especially with Jack, which, of course, for 1998, there's not enough of him on stuff like Giving the Fly and Faithful and MFC and all that.
2: Oh, yeah, anytime there's a Jack show, it's going to it's gonna perk my hairs up. I'm going to be super excited to listen to that one, especially in 98.
0: And if you guys at home are super excited to listen to that one, then I hope you're all subscribed on Spotify and Apple, and you'll get the updates, you'll get notifications whenever it does come up, which, hint, hint, it's 6 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday, so if you weren't following along, now you know and if you are subscribed already or if you're planning to subscribe then head on over and feel free to give us a rating there is a rating system on spotify it's just a five star rating so if you feel like you want to give us five stars head on over there and give us five stars we'll ask for the five star rating of course because that gets our visibility out there more and more is all we ask for and on apple you can do the same thing five star rating and if you'd like Please leave a comment and let the next person know that's looking for a Pearl Jam podcast or just looking for something to listen to what they're going to get when they listen to us, because a lot of it, you know, like we did kind of with Greg's memories today. We were just reliving a lot of them. So yeah, that's important for us that people that have gotten to experience these get to go back to 20 years ago and relive them again. So yeah, if one comment on Apple on anywhere can tell them like, this is what you're in for for this and you're going to enjoy it, then that goes a long way. And that next guy is going to tell another next guy and the next guy is going to tell another next guy. You know how this stuff works. Once everybody gets on tour, everybody wants to talk about things and you know you get into the project conversations and yada 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 so that is the plea for this and again we are looking forward to reaching a goal by the end of the year getting us a hundred ratings on apple specifically and and spotify as well i think for spotify we're around 60 and for apple i think we're just at 70 so if you can help us out that would be massively 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 appreciated and let us know, and we'll give you a shout out on the show too. So, yeah, all good things. Now, to close it all out, this may be the end. We're here, not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Next week, hey, Maui in February doesn't sound too bad. And I know, look, I just had a 62 degree day here in Connecticut. So, it feels like it's kind of Maui outside right now, but I think it's better to be there. So, next week, we'll. Put on a LA lay and, and do the thing. Till then. See them. you then. Have I got a little joey for you? I'm a person. Brett's a person. You're a person. That person
3: over there is a person. And each person deserves to be treated like a person.
1: It's a great speech. Too bad New Zealanders are a bunch of cocky a-holes descended from criminals and monkeys.
3: You're thinking of Australians. Yeah, that's Australians. Australians.
1: No, 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 New Zealanders, they throw another shrimp on the barbie, ride around in your kangaroos all day. No, 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 that's
3: Australians. You're thinking of Australians, that's not us.
1: I've totally confused you with Australians. I I feel terrible.
2: Oh, no, oh, no. Your
1: accents, are just kind of similar.
2: Our accents are completely different. They're like, where's the car? And we're like, where's the car? You know what? Clearly.
1: Hey, ha- have some of my fruit, please. I feel terrible. Do you want that red delicious still?
2: Oh, I would love that red delicious. Kay. Yeah.
1: This red delicious is on me. You still want that banana?
2: I you? love that banana. Yeah. Like, Here you go. Oh, that's hey, so crazy.
3: I'm Sinjay. I'm Jermaine. Good to meet you. Britt.
1: Neela, you can you can uncover your eyes. They're not
3: Australian, They're New Zealanders.
1: Yep.